previously on the Sports Refuge Podcast. If Kansas City gets in it with Tampa, I'd be okay with uh, paying it back with a blowout because last year I was, I was tough. <laughs> From Delaware, almost live, this is the Sports Refuge Podcast. This is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. Episode 97 of the Sports Refuge is on the feed as we are focusing on the teams in the NFC playoff bracket. I'm your host, Earl Holland. All seven playoff spots are accounted for in the National Football Conference as the road to the Super Bowl runs through Green Bay, Wisconsin. In this episode, I'll be talking with fans of the qualified postseason teams as follows. The seventh-ranked San Francisco 49ers are represented by longtime fan Jeffrey Scott. Tom Rader discusses the six-seeded Philadelphia Eagles, who overcame a very slow start to surge by winning four of its last five games. Joe Camo, an Arizona Cardinals fan, addresses the franchise's ascension to competitiveness under head coach Cliff Kingsbury. Donald Johnson shares how his beloved Los Angeles Rams upgraded at the quarterback position with the addition of Matthew Stafford. The defending champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers are represented by fan Byron Taylor, who shares his thoughts on the team and what may be its Achilles heel. Second-seeded Dallas Cowboys and their potent offense have taken the NFC by storm as Quincy Peaker discusses. And Hunter Quinn talks about the motivation the top-seeded Green Bay Packers have for returning to another Super Bowl. And now, here's my look at the NFC contenders. Here with me to talk about the San Francisco 49ers is longtime Niners fan and someone who you've seen on the show before in different variations on live streams or in podcast episodes is a good friend of mine. Jeff Scott, one of the first things I wanted to ask you, how did you become a Niners fan and how did you end up sticking with them, especially through the tough times, the lean years prior to the return of Jim Harbaugh? Well, I've been an Orioles fan for a long time, so it kind of goes along with the experience. You know, you learn to stick with your team. You don't, you don't want to be a fair weather fan. So even throughout the 80s and 90s, when they had a few hard years, you just learn to go with it. I mean, I remember the 2000s when we stunk for about what five six years and uh it wasn't that easy man i mean still worked with pride when frank gord he stayed with the team and just stuck it out and i just saw something in on the internet the other day where it said you know i'm not saying that will but if this current run they're on you know it'd be nice if they invited me back to let me be the backup running back or whatnot and try to get a ring and it's interesting after he's been uh, was out there boxing with Darren Williams, formerly of the Utah Jazz, a couple nights ago. I mean, I guess he's got a little too much time on his hands. Yeah, man, but that dude is a workhorse, dude. I mean, what is he, ranked third in all times rushing yards? Yeah, but next question I want to ask you, what is your most memorable Niners moment against the Chiefs? Was it the previous Super Bowl against Baltimore? Or is there some other moment that that's hard to really quantify? It's hard to quantify, but there's a couple of moments. When I went to my first game with you and Steph over at FedEx Field, and that was an awesome moment, man, even though we only got to see a half. And then when I saw number 85 carry all those, was it four players on his back to get the first down to keep our playoff dreams alive? Man, there's nothing like that. Yeah, and I can imagine, especially taking your first NFL game, that's something that... Again, if the moments were more optimal and everything actually fell into place, you actually would have been there to see the whole game from beginning to end. But that's what happens when you have an opposing team that runs the ball a lot, bad traffic, and the Bay Bridge being backed up pretty much. Only in Maryland, baby. Only in Maryland. Crab cakes, football, and bridge blockages. That's what they do best. 
Going into the season, what were your expectations for the Niners? It looked like last year was a bit of a Super Bowl hangover, going 6-10, and 10, the injuries to Garoppolo, and it seems like that's always pretty much a yearly thing with Jimmy Garoppolo getting hurt. It seemed like it was going to be a loaded division, the NFC West with Arizona getting better and the Rams getting Matt Stafford and, of course, Seattle being Seattle. What were you hoping the Niners could do heading into the year? Compete. I wasn't expecting the three-loss run, but they got Bosa back, and he's been a beast. I mean, he's in the running for um, Defensive Player of the Year, Comeback Player of the Year. What else? There was another one. I was watching the game yesterday, and he's already got like 13 or 14 sacks, and he's always in every play. They give him the option to change sides every play he's on. He's always in the mix. He stops plays. He scares the living daylights out of other players. I mean... If we could get his brother, I believe his brother plays for the Chargers. If we could get his brother to play for us, man, that'd be an unstoppable duo. You know, I understand Garoppolo's hurt. He just kind of plays like he's scared sometimes. But when it comes to clutch moments, man, you know, he, he does 80-90% of the time. But there was a play about three games ago when they blew it against the Seahawks. You know, he threw the ball and they got smacked out of the air. Now... I tell you one thing, I was not happy about that. I took some other patience. It took some patience not to toss something at the TV from that. So, you know, I was kind of hoping he'd come back in a more clutch moment, clutch form for me. Was there a particular point in the season that you were optimistic? Okay, the Niners are heading back to the playoffs. Last year was just one of those weird blips on the radar. Yes, and I was saying when they started to win uh, three in a row, that's when I kind of saw them coming back. After they beat the Browns, you know, you could kind of tell that it wasn't a fluke. You know, and then with this one right here, the Falcons, when the Falcons are kind of pushovers by this time of the season over the past few years. But, you know, the defense has been consistent the past few years with Bosa, Warner. And then there's, I think there's a rookie this year. It starts with A. I can't remember his name. But uh, they've been kind of consistent. The one key thing, you know, besides that's held the team together and then, over the past two seasons, you've seen Debo Samuel. That's helped him along. This year, besides receiving, he's been running the ball. He's already got like seven rushing touchdowns. They're starting to use their players in a more variety of manner. You know, everybody's starting to step up into their roles and come out of their shells. You know what I mean? So it looks like they're playing more as a team and not as individuals. Going to the opposite side of the coin, was there a time that you saw where you're thinking – these guys might not be playoff bound. They're, it's time to break things up and time to shake a little life into them. When Garoppolo got hurt, I wanted to see what Trey Lance could do. And I saw, you know, the game he got to play. I was happy to see that. And it looked like he could be the quarterback of the future for us. So that was nice. He played a really great game, even though we lost. That was our game against um, the Cardinals, I believe. You know, that was nice to see. Yeah, and something we'll talk a little more about Trey Lance as well in a little bit. But looking at the playoffs right now, the Niners are sitting in the sixth seed, which last year would have been just holding on to a spot in the playoffs. But this year, that means they're comfortable ahead of that seventh seed. Who do you think the Niners match up the best with in the NFC? Oh, boy. That's a tough one on that one. I'm going to have to say it's probably the Rams. I think they can probably beat... You know, Matt, with a little leeway. Because that's probably who they're going to end up playing. Or the Cowboys. 
Yeah, and it's very interesting looking back at that game. They beat the Rams by 21 points, and that was the beginning of their three-game winning streak. Uh, their yes, most it was. Three-game winning streak. And looking on the other side of it, who in the NFC scares you? Is it the Cardinals? Is it Green Bay? Is it anybody else that hasn't been mentioned? Is it Tampa Bay? Is it could it be one of those three teams? I say Tampa Bay the most because Tom Brady, even though I don't like him, the man has clutch. That for the most part, we have history of beating Green Bay. Cardinals, no, because they barely beat us by seven, or it was a three. And our defense has been consistently helping us the whole entire season. The last, like, three or four games, we've been having at least two or three turnovers per game. And we've been t- scoring off those turnovers. So most teams have probably been like, what the hell is going on? You know, even when our rookies come in or people have been playing off our bench, they've been proving themselves. And as long as we don't shoot ourselves in the foot and allow people getting pass interference or roughing the passer penalties like we did last year, you know, we should be fine. Like I said, knock on wood. And another question. I know you mentioned Trey Lance a little bit earlier. When you saw that the Niners decided to draft him in the first round, what were your thoughts on it? And did you think this is pushing Jimmy Garoppolo out of the door fairly easy, especially with the number three pick in the draft? Now, I did not really watch college football, but, you know, I did my research on him. I kind of liked what I saw and liked what I researched, that he was a more mobile quarterback and that he could pass the ball. I don't know if it's necessarily pushing Jimmy Garoppolo out the door because it's business as usual. They've got to have a competent backup quarterback. and somebody of the future because our past two or three backups had not exactly been anything to write home about. When they put them in last year, we had one that could only win two or three games and then and it wasn't by much and that when they wanted to compete, you need somebody to compete if want to go playoff bound or win a Super Bowl. I mean look what Tom Brady did. You know, he took the reins from um Drew Bledsoe and they didn't look back. And he went on to win like what, six Super Bowls? He won his seventh last year. What? Not last year. Yeah. And you need you need somebody like that to lead your franchise into the future. Now, I'm not saying that Trey Lance is going to be that guy, but you have to give somebody like that a chance. You know, and you don't know if he's going to be Lamar Jackson or or whatnot, but, you know, does he have the potential to? Sure. Did he show a little bit of that potential when they played the Cardinals? Yes, he did, you know. He seems like he had the skill. Now, like I said, um, I talked to a few other people. They said, you know, he's had some time off. Well, Arizona has a pretty good defense. Did he look rusty? Yeah, a little bit when he played, but he looked pretty good to me. As we go to our Super Bowl prediction, who do you have coming out of the NFC? Who do you have coming out of the AFC? Who wins the Super Bowl? And what is the final score? Of course, 49ers win the Super Bowl and come from the NFC. And coming from the AFC, hmm, that is a hard pick. I'm going to have to possibly say maybe the Titans again. It may be 30 to 21, but right now it's too close to call. That seems like it's a pretty good game. And I know that a lot of people were initially talking about the uh, pretty close scores so far. So it's very interesting to see how this ends up turning out. So it'll be interesting to find out how it ends up looking in the final run. But as we start to wrap this up, 
do you have any shout outs you want to give anything you want to promote as well? And then how can people reach out to you on social media to talk Niners football? Um, if they want to talk, you know, I'm always on Facebook, you know, my Jeff Scott, I'm on Twitter and I guess you can find me on Instagram. I'm not really on there that much. If they always want to get hold of me, they can always get hold of me through contact you. Um, and also, my wife is trying to get a new library in Harrison, Delaware. So I'd like to promote that, you know, help her with the funding. And other than that, not really. Help support your local hospitals because the people that are working there right now are getting overwhelmed with COVID and other things. Other than that, nothing else, man. Oh, yeah, support your Orioles because we have stumped for a long time. And I think these next couple of seasons are going to be uh, something to look at. And also... Your man, Earl Holland, is putting in the work. He's putting in the work, guys. And this man deserves your support. Also, he's going to be a father. The Philadelphia Eagles, who are back in the race in the NFC playoff bracket. And here is longtime Eagles fan, Tom Rader. Tom, thank you for being on the podcast. I really do appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to do this. No, thanks so much for having me. Go Birds. So, Tom, how did you become an Eagles fan, and what has been the attraction to the Eagles? Like most people, it was just a family thing. My dad is a huge Eagles and also a huge Notre Dame uh, football fan, so it was just Saturdays watching Notre Dame uh, with me and my brother, my dad, and my mom, and then Sundays watching the Eagles, and it was always like, you know, my dad's mood the rest of the week would be determined by whether or not Notre Dame and the Philadelphia Eagles won over the weekend. So it became attached to that with my dad. And we've been fans ever since. I mean, I can remember my parents would take us down to games at the Vet. And that was always an interesting experience, especially for rivalry games. And um, just as a kid, seeing adults having a couple sodas and, and uh, getting a little rowdy, you know, Eagles fans have that reputation. Um, you know, yeah, just being a Philly sports fan in general, as well as the Phillies and, and Sixers and Flyers. But uh yeah, that's where it really started for me through watching it and experiencing it through my father's eyes. In your mind, what is the biggest moment as an Eagles fan? I'm assuming it's going to always be until it changes the Super Bowl win over the Patriots. Oh, just unbelievable. You got it exactly right. It was just so unexpected. And Philly fans, you know, we've we've suffered for a long time. And just that night, it was like a holiday. That's how I remember it in my mind. It's like a favorite Christmas or a favorite Easter or what have you. And I remember going down, uh, me and my mom and my my dad went down to watch the game at my brother and sister-in-law's place in Carlisle and just watching that game. And I remember crying at the end of it and we popped a bottle of champagne and it was just this huge experience. And I'm, I didn't know if I'd get to see that in my lifetime. You know, and I want to see another one. Now that you get it, you get greedy for it. And I'm hoping I get to see one for my Notre Dame Fighting Irish as well. But it won't be this year. But, yeah, that's definitely my favorite, most important memory. And like I said, I look back at it's, it's That Super Bowl win was like a holiday for me as a football fan. Going into the season, what were the expectations? I know gone is Doug Peterson after the 4-11-1 season last year. And in comes Nick Sirianni. Gone is Carson Wentz to Indianapolis, and now it's Jalen Hurts taking the reins. What were you hoping that the Eagles could do this season, and what were your optimistic expectations for what they could do? My memories of the end of last year 
were of Jalen Hurts just being able to improvise. And you saw these flashes of greatness that he had. And so I know, you know, we didn't have the end result we wanted last season, but I came into this season thinking, you know what? I think it's going to be a rebuilding year. I wasn't too happy with them getting rid of Doug Peterson. I really liked him. And so coming into this season, my expectations were solidly, okay, this is going to be rebuilding year, a young quarterback, a new coach. And I didn't really like Nick Sirianni at, at the beginning of the season. I didn't like the way he communicated, how he was in press conferences. But and I was listening to Sports Talk Radio in the Philly area just yesterday. And the host on, I think it was WIP, he was talking about how much Nick Sirianni has grown as a coach. And I would totally agree with that. I think he has grown a lot as a coach and he's turned what we all thought was going to be rebuilding year, strictly that into now look where we're at now. We beat the Giants yesterday. We're in the playoff picture, you know, here heading into the end of the year. So that's where every fan wants to be. And initially there was all this talk of once Wentz was gone, then Joe Flacco came in and there was all these questions whether Flacco was going to be there to mentor Hurts or if Flacco was going to be there to get a shot to start because the Joe Flacco of this year is not the Joe Flacco of at least 10, 12 years ago. So I know there was probably some questions whether he's just going to be there as an insurance policy or he was going to be there to take the reins or he's just there for mentorship. Oh, yeah. No. And you mentioned and I told this is how much turnover there is in the league. I totally forgot that he was a backup quarterback for a second because Gardner mentions in there. But yeah, I, with Flacco, you know, I've always felt with him after he won a Super Bowl. He pilot, but I think he got what he wanted. Then he got the big contract, and and now you know he's like you said, just kind of in that backup vet who's going to ride the bench and just kind of be there when you need him. But yeah, yeah, that was kind of odd how that happened. And then with this game that Gardner Minshew, you know, against the Jets, and everybody's like, oh, quarterback controversy. I didn't really see it that way. I don't think one game, especially against the New York Jets, is a good litmus test for for our quarterback. So, but I do feel very confident with him in that backup spot. My dad, he doesn't think Jalen Hurts is the guy. I don't think we've seen enough of a litmus test with either quarterback to see where we're going. I think there's more that can be done with Jalen and with Devontae Smith. So I definitely think there, there's more avenues there. We got to give everybody on this team more time, including, including the head coach. Was there a particular game or moment this season that you were optimistic about how well the Eagles would fare? Yeah, it's really just been these last couple of games, and I, I just didn't really think we'd still be in the mix. So I'd take it all the way back to just yesterday. That game started off so slowly, and bad performances really on both sides, the, the Birds and the Giants. And, and everybody said, okay, well, we had that game postponed, right? We had to play Tuesday, which was weird. And, I mean, these guys are pro athletes. They need the allotted amount of days in between games so I think that really impacted the Eagles and the Giants yesterday. And I think that's why things got off to such a slow start. But yeah, I mean, this team has been week to week. So I think my answer would be was the most recent, the most recent week. And that was that was just this game against the Giants. Was there a particular game on the schedule that made you think, well, it is just a rebuild and there's plenty you can take from it, but any thoughts of postseason this year were going to be a bit out of hand. Was it that Giants loss early on? Was it the loss to the to the Chargers? Was there anything in particular that made you think, okay, wait till next year? Yeah, and it was the two and five start. And it was also, I, I really, um, 
I was a big, you know, Zach Ertz fan and I didn't like them getting rid of him. And, and I actually, the, the week before that happened, I was at, I was telling you about my friend, Barry Vagnoni, who's a, a Eagle super fan. And he has this man cave, this Eagles man cave uh, in the Reading area. And we were actually watching the game with Zach's dad and his mom. They were there uh, with us. And you kind of got the sense that, that they were going to make some moves there and he was going to be out the door. I really liked him as a player um, and as a person. I thought he was a good representative of the team. So that was a turning point for me where I'm thinking, man, you know, they're making some they're making some front office moves that that are a bit concerning. So I would probably put that as a point where it was like, you know, yeah, I think I was right. This was a rebuilding year. Let's let's just get to the end of the season. Hope nobody gets too significantly hurt, you know, and, and, and take it from there. Looking at the playoff brackets and the chance that the Eagles make it in, who do you feel like the Eagles match up the best with in the NFC playoffs? Initially, you know, I was thinking about that question, the Vikings. Um, but I mean, they've been every, there's so much parody in the league this season. You know, you have a team that seems like world beaters one Sunday and then not the next. And I mean, even as I was mentioning fantasy football, like there was a point with my work fantasy football league where there was like an eight way tie for second because these teams were just so close. The Vikings, you know, I know we've seen them in that postseason before. You know, I'd probably go with them at this point, I think. Going on the other side of the coin, who as an Eagles fan, what team scares you in the NFC right now in the bracket? Is it Dallas? Is it San Francisco? Is it Green Bay? Is it the Rams? Who else? Could it even be the Cardinals who are slipping a bit? Yeah, I mean, Dallas is always scary. They're a rival. They're, they're the best team in the division. And that NFC East is always, every year, it's like sometimes it's a matter of, okay, who doesn't want to go to the playoffs the most? And everybody's playing terribly. But San Francisco, I think, I, I would probably put them maybe above the Cowboys in a sense. They've always been kind of a, a rival, too. Uh, when it comes to comes to the postseason, but they're scary to me. I would want to stay out of them, and maybe close behind that would be the Cowboys. What would you say has been the key to the Eagles' success so far this season, especially, like you said, after the rough start and being able to turn things around and, and win seven out of the last nine? The play calling. I mean, the season started out, uh, you know, like I said, we left last year with, okay, we got a quarterback who's mobile, a play breaks down. Jalen can run. He can get us a first down. But I think Sirianni realized, and especially with Miles Sanders, who, who now is getting x-rays on his hand, I haven't seen the latest reports on that, which is disconcerting because we're definitely going to need him. But we decided to run the football. We realized that we need to be running the football more. I, I heard a stat concerning Miles Sanders where just his amount of carries from the first couple of games and I think Sirianni realized we need to start running the football, have a more balanced attack. So I think it's when, from a play calling standpoint, they decided to do that, to start to run the football and, and sort of build the offense off of that rather than the direction that they were going initially. And I still think, I mean, you look at Devontae Smith and just as a, he used to be the enemy to me because he was on Alabama. I'm a big Notre Dame fan. And Devontae Smith last season in that, in the college football playoff made us look silly. Devontae could be on any part of the football field. They're going to get him the ball, and he's going to score a touchdown. And now you see, once you get somebody, even with that amazing talent, up to the level of the NFL where he looks human now, you know, he hasn't been as fast and have as much escapability. So I think I would like to see him 
get the ball a little more. But again, I think the way to go right now is to really focus on the run game. And again, our, our offensive line too. I mean, there's some concerns there. You want everybody to be healthy, but running the ball is going to weigh more on them as well. So you got to consider that going forward. Looking at the Super Bowl prediction, who do you have coming out of the NFC? Who do you have coming out of the AFC? Who wins the game? And what is the final score? Well, by some miracle, it'd be even a greater miracle than, than what we had a couple years back. I'd love it to be the birds, but if I'm stepping out of my uh, Eagles fandom and just kind of looking at it from a sports analysis perspective, I really think Green Bay, Kansas City is looking pretty clear right now. And I think Aaron Rodgers is playing and, you know, he's become a, a polarizing figure in the NFL uh, because of the COVID stuff. And so however anybody feels about Aaron Rodgers, but I think he's playing with a renewed passion since that happened and since he came back from all that. So I really see him winning another Super Bowl and and maybe he decides to step away from the game after doing that. He just broke Brett Favre's record. So I'm thinking Packers, Chiefs, and I'm, I'm taking the Packers 31-17. That's what I'm going with. That might actually be the biggest margin of victory I've had in these predictions so far because everybody's <laughs> saying within three to seven points with their predictions of who it is, regardless of who they pick, whether it's Kansas City, whether it's Tampa, whether it's Green Bay, whether it's uh, some people's opinion Dallas, whether it's some people's opinion that it could be the Rams. Everybody's picking within three to seven points. Yeah, and I heard too, there was one, I was reading one article about New England, Tampa Bay and having Belichick and Brady going at it, but who knows? I'm, I'm just glad, again, just the way the past two years have been, I'm glad we've gotten this far. These past couple of weeks, it was getting sketchy with games being postponed and COVID, you know, rearing its ugly head again. But just as a sports fan in general, I'm just glad that we're able to get this far. I'm, I'm grateful to be talking to you and, and enjoying this distraction because that's what it is, right? I mean, sports is, is always a healthy distraction from the world around us. And I think we need it more than ever with what's going on. So the playoffs are going to be exciting to watch regardless, and especially coming down the stretch here and Hopefully the Eagles can make some things happen, but it gives me hope as an Eagles fan for next season in, in any event that we're still in the conversation. Tom, I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. I wanted to do this before we wrap this up. Do you have any shout outs you want to give to anyone, anything you wanted to promote? What are ways people can reach out to you on social media to talk Eagles football? Well, if I can mention, go check out the film maybe this year. This is actually the Philly special. If you take a look on the back there, this is the shirt. But they changed the name of the documentary. And my good friend, Barry Vagnoni, him and his wife, actually, they're just recovering from COVID. They've been pretty sick, but they're getting better. So I, I wish them much love and, and go birds. And um, if you ever get a chance to visit, if you're an Eagles fan, he's got this incredible man cave. Parks Casino is running a contest right now. So go check that. You can vote for his Eagles man cave. You can find me on WFMZ 69 News. I'm uh, the reporter there for the 530 and 1030. Twitter, Tom Raider TV, Tom Raider Media on Instagram. So check me out there and say hi. And yeah, let's enjoy the rest of this football season. Roll. I really appreciate it, man. These are the Arizona Cardinals. Had a lot of big moves in the offseason and it's paid all so far 11 and 5 as they head into the final week. And it's going to be interesting where they end up seeding out in the NFC playoffs in this new field of seven teams. But here with me to talk about the Cardinals and their success in the desert is longtime Cardinals fan, Joe Camo. Joe, thank you so much for being on the podcast and taking part. 
Yeah, Earl, thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to get to talk about the Cardinals anytime I get a chance. So I'm really happy to be here. Oh, and I really appreciate you being able to do this. As we were talking about prior to getting on here, I had the toughest time trying to find a Cardinals <laughs> fan and scouring the internet, crowdsourcing, doing everything and being able to find a Cardinals fan because I felt like I didn't want to do this without having everybody accounted for. And, and I feel like it wouldn't be right to not have the Cardinals in the mix because they are in the mix. They're going to the playoffs. And in fact, they really had an impact on how the NFC was going early on in the season. And I mean, things still can go that way as we head into the playoffs because we know the Cardinals have their spot punched into the postseason, it's just going to be where the seating will be. Yeah, it's a smaller fan base, and that's what happens when you don't have a lot of long-term success, and the Cardinals have not had much success, which has been making a fan interesting. But yeah, I, I'm not surprised you had a hard time finding one of us. You know, I'm glad you found me. Again, I'm, I'm happy to be here talking Cardinals. And I'm glad that you're able to be here. The first thing what we do is we normally ask the guests how did you become a Cardinals fan and what was the attraction to them and what led to you to being a fan between all the good and bad? Well, I was born in Arizona. I don't live in Arizona now. My career has actually brought me to the state of Georgia. So I'm on the East Coast like you are. But yeah, I was living in Arizona when the Cardinals moved there in 1988. I'm old enough. I was like 13 when that happened. I wasn't a huge sports fan then, but I cared enough about sports. They immediately became my hometown team and over the years gotten to be much more interested in sports at a deeper level. You know, I probably in the early 90s, I started watching NFL draft every year and have been watching it every year since. So it's a team that is now representing the state I'm from. And I've been a, a fan since pretty much they moved there and have stuck with them all the way through through all the rough seasons and it's good to see them finally winning and interestingly enough i feel like aside from the suns of the cardinals really started leading that momentum towards more sports teams coming to arizona followed up by the diamondbacks and then the coyotes and i know regardless of how strange that situation is with the coyotes the fact that arizona and the phoenix area in general has become a metropolitan area that is suitable for all the teams in the major sports i think that's huge yeah you know the phoenix area has grown immensely um you know i moved away in 2008 to go to grad school in texas but from the time i lived there, i saw how much it grew and it's interesting it was a very different world when the cardinals moved because they moved to arizona and they played at sun devil stadium which is actually the stadium that arizona state university plays and that's been there forever and it wasn't a great stadium for a pro team it's funny like today if you want to attract an nfl team to your city you better have a stadium plan to build them a stadium and they they moved there without that but yeah it was the suns there forever and that was the only major professional team. There was the Phoenix Firebirds, a AAA affiliate of the New York Giants that were really popular. But the Suns was the only game in town for a long time. And then the Cardinals moved there. And then, you know, eventually they got the expansion Diamondbacks who delivered the only major, you know, professional championship to the city. And then the Coyotes moved there. And now, you know, it has become one of a short list of four sports cities now how long it stays with everything as you reference going on with the Coyotes, it's hard to know. That's a short list of cities. So it's it's become one of those big sports towns, you know, and the Cardinals absolutely helped lead the charge on that. What is your most memorable moment as a Cardinals fan? Was it the most recent Super Bowl? Was there anything else in particular? I know, as you mentioned, sometimes the success was a bit lean down in Arizona. So to you, what is the most memorable Cardinals moment? 
So I'm going to give you two, one that haunts my nightmares and one that was a very kind of, I don't know, just for me, a special fan moment that I think is just kind of unique. The one that haunts my nightmares is James Harrison returning that darn interception, however many yards in the Super Bowl going into halftime. It's not even like James Harrison was like the fastest player on the field. You know, he's, he's kind of an outside edge rusher and he picked off Kurt Warner, ran it back. And I'm like, just tackle him, tackle him. And, you know, obviously that was part of the Super Bowl that the Cardinals lost. But the memory to me that is just kind of special is back in um, you know the 1998 season, the Cardinals made the playoffs for what I believe was the first time since they had moved to Arizona with quarterback Jake Plummer, who the Cardinals had drafted in the second round, and he had played at Arizona State University. So his legend had already begun in the Phoenix area, and then the Cardinals drafted him, and it was kind of this really perfect kind of storm of this player that was already popular in the Valley becoming a potential legend that he it didn't quite work out in terms of his career with the Cardinals, but they made the playoffs in 1998 and they went into Dallas and beat the Cowboys. And the, the Cowboys are probably the team I dislike the most in the NFL. So it was particularly sweet that the Cardinals in their first playoff appearance in my time following them as a fan went into Dallas, beat the Cowboys and I remember they were flying home and there was someone had announced, I don't know if I heard it on the radio or, or wherever, that fans were being invited to congregate this kind of open field or kind of lot that was adjacent to the airport. And they were going to taxi up the plane, have kind of a, I don't know, a platform out there and the players and coaches and a few other folks were going to come out and address the crowd. So I went down there to this open gravel lot or whatever it was next to the Sky Harbor Airport. They taxied the plane there and I was out there with, I don't know how many people there. This has been, what, 20 something years. There were probably a couple thousand people out there and, you know, and the, the team came out and addressed the fans. And I think there were a few other local prominent figures like the late John McCain, a prominent political figure in Arizona was out there. You know, he was an avid Cardinals fan. And it was one of those things I don't think it was on TV. It's just one of those moments that like I was able to go and celebrate that, the energy, the emotion. And it's a unique experience that only me and however many other people who happened to be there that day got to experience. So that for me is the thing that's most memorable and very personal, so to speak, in terms of the Cardinals. Yeah, and I can only imagine, like you said, the success at first time making the playoffs since they had moved from St. Louis. One thing I want to ask you, going into the season, what were the expectations? I know finishing 8-8 eight eight last year, they were had a really strong start before regressing to 500. But what was the thought about what was going in, especially this year? No Patrick Peterson, no Larry Fitzgerald. What were you thinking they could do, especially in an NFC West where you always have to worry about Seattle? You have to worry about the Rams. And then, of course, the Niners were coming off a weird season after post-Super Bowl hangover. And you didn't know what to expect. What were you expecting the Cardinals could do in a competitive division? You know, you're right. The NFC West has been for the last five or six years widely viewed as arguably the best division in football. And you had four teams, any one of which coming in would not shock someone if they made the playoffs. So the Cardinals had an uphill climb. There was this mix of optimism and concern because, you know, under Cliff Kingsbury, they've improved every year, right? They went from having the first overall pick, drafting Kyler Murray, which obviously you're not a good team if you have the first overall pick, to winning five games and then eight games. But there was concern because they also – collapsed down the stretch last season. They had two games against the Rams in San Francisco where all they had to do was beat one of those teams and both of those teams were playing like third string quarterbacks. And if the Cardinals could have won either of those games, they would have made the playoffs and they lost both. So even though they improved, 
the way it ended left a bad taste in the mouth of a lot of Cardinals fans. But, you know, in the offseason, you're right. Patrick Peterson did move on. But, you know, Patrick Peterson over the last couple of years had kind of been a shell of himself. If you followed all PFF's grades, his grades have have declined over the last number of years. And he drew like, I think it was 12 penalties last year at flags, which led all cornerbacks. Moving on from him actually was not a concern to me because he just wasn't the player he used to be. So I actually felt like the guy they signed, Malcolm Butler, who ended up retiring, was going to be as good or better. But they had brought in a lot of, I think, important players. You know, obviously, J.J. Watt, we were excited to sign him. I think uh, one of the biggest moves was sent to Rodney Hudson they traded for, you know, and that was a huge upgrade. James Conner, they brought in a lot of pieces. I was actually pretty excited about the team, but I try to have a little bit tempered expectations because it's such a tough division. So I felt like they were going to be 10 and 7 and vying for a playoff spot. Coming in, I felt like they were going to be second or third in the division. I felt like the Rams were going to win the division. Cardinals and Seahawks, I thought, were going to be fighting for second place. And I thought the 49ers would be at the back end because I didn't trust their quarterback situation. It's looking like I was right about the Cardinals and Rams and not so much about Seahawks and and the 49ers. But, I mean, I had some optimism, but, you know, the way it ended last year and the tough division, I didn't see them starting out the way they did going into the season. Was there a particular moment in the season you thought, okay, last year's last year's collapse is in the past. What was a particular game that made you feel extremely good about how they're playing? Was it the win against the Rams? Was it the win against the Niners? Or was it was it any other particular win on there? In fact, you swept the season series with the Niners, so you had to feel extremely good about that. I mean, all those games made me feel good. And certainly, you know, beating the Rams is sort of getting the monkey off our back, as they say, because Sean McVay had been 8-0 against the Cardinals, right? So we got that, oh, we can't beat Sean McVay thing off of our back. And that was a huge game. But honestly, the game where I first felt like, okay, you know what? This season might be different was week one where they blew out the Titans. Because, yeah, it's it's very early. It's only 1-0. But the Titans were supposed to be one of the best teams in the AFC. And as it turns out, they are here down the stretch. But the Cardinals, in fact, when I looked at their schedule and kind of plotted out, these are the games I think we'll win. These are the ones I think we'll lose. That was one I thought they were going to lose. And they blew out the Titans. So right from there, I'm like, okay, this year's going to be different. And then they went on and they, you know, they won against the Vikings in a, in a game that the Vikings probably should have won that, you know, the Vikings missed that last minute field goal, but they went and they kept rolling and beating the Rams. That definitely kind of brought to the next level. And then going 7-0, and um, that first half of the season, even their first loss was to a very good Green Bay team. And you're like, man, yeah, this team is for real. So yeah, coming out of the gate, I felt like this was something different. Was there a particular game that made you very, very worried about the play of the team? Was it the Lions' loss? Was it the loss <laughs> to the Panthers? So the loss to the Panthers didn't concern me a lot because they were starting the backup quarterback, Colt McCoy. Kyler Murray was injured. They won two out of three with Colt McCoy. And, you know, when you're bringing in a backup quarterback, you don't expect them to be consistent. They're consistent. They're starters somewhere else. So the, the Panthers game didn't concern me at all. The Lions game really concerned me because that was a, a bad loss to a team that had two wins up to that point. And they had Kyler Murray back, so they should have won. That's the one that really concerned me. And also it hurts that it was part of a stretch of like three losses in a row that they had. So, yeah, that was the game that concerned me the most. Coming back and having a flat showing against the Colts concerned me also. You know, the Colts are a good team, so there's no shame in losing to them. But that stretch right there with those losses, including the Lions loss, definitely was the point in the season where I'm like, is it the same old Cardinals? Are they going to have that late season collapse like they did last year? 
looking at the NFC playoff picture, who is the team that you feel like the Cardinals match up the best with in the NFC? Is it the Rams? Is it Tampa? Is it Dallas? Is it someone else that we haven't even mentioned yet? You know, just going on recent history, I'm going to say Dallas. You know, the Cardinals blew out the Cowboys last year. And then this year, the Cowboys were coming back and they wanted payback. And if you looked at that game going in, the Cardinals had a lot of players out due to injury and COVID. And the Cowboys were not nearly as banged up. And the Cardinals had come off the loss from the Colts and then, you know, two weeks out from the loss from the Lions. So everyone thought that the Cowboys were going to beat the Cardinals, if not roll them. And the Cardinals came out and, you know, kind of took command of the game very early. Cowboys made a push late, but the Cardinals won. So the Cardinals beat them badly last year. They beat them under difficult circumstances with all the injuries. And the Cardinals' run defense has not been good this year, but for whatever reason, they shut down the Cowboys. The Cowboys had 45 yards rushing, and 20 of that was Dak Prescott. Uh, and last year, you know, they, I think they forced a couple fumbles, you know, uh, against Ezekiel Elliott. So for whatever reason, the Cardinals recently seem to have matched up well against the Cowboys. Who's the team in the NFC that scares you when it comes to the playoffs? Who is the team that you're hoping, if you don't have to see until the conference championship game, that you can avoid the longest? It's Tampa Bay. I know Green Bay beat the Cardinals early in the year, and Aaron Rodgers is such a talented quarterback. But the Cardinals were right in that Green Bay game, and they had a chance right up until that misplay at the end with A.J. Green not turning around. But the thing that scares me about Tampa Bay is, one, they're a veteran team with a veteran coach and Tom Brady at quarterback. And the Cardinals are a team with a young coach and young quarterback. They've got some veterans in the locker room, certainly, that help out. But when you're a team that's in the playoffs, that's young, that's hopefully ascending, I think the teams that are a bad matchup for you are the teams that are veteran-laden and have been there. And Tom Brady knows how to win in the playoffs. And the Cardinals are hoping to learn how to do that. So that's the matchup that concerns me the most, particularly because the Cardinals' defense has been good through most of the year. They've actually been a top 10 defense, but Tom Brady to pick apart and expose our cornerbacks that that are you know a little bit young and, and have had some struggles. So that's definitely the matchup that concerns me. And it's interestingly, it seems like the weakness of Tampa Bay has been teams with mobile quarterbacks and big running games, and that looks like something that Arizona could do. If you look at the Washington game and you look at both New Orleans games, they had a way with keeping Brady off the field and really stifling him. And and it looks like, while there is concern as a Cardinal fan, that they might have the recipe to pull off an upset and dethrone the champs. Yeah, I mean, maybe we're a scary matchup for them too. And I'll say and one thing that I've experienced as a fan this year that I don't remember ever experiencing, this is the first year I remember where I'd say going into any game, I felt like the Cardinals had a chance to win no matter who they were playing. Now, during that tough stretch, <laughs> I lost that feeling a little bit, but if the Cardinals are healthy and they're not going through a rough stretch, but they're playing the way they were earlier in the season, I think they can beat anyone in the league on a good day. They're so talented when they're healthy and when they're right. One question I wanted to ask you before we go to our Super Bowl prediction. Cliff Kingsbury, interestingly mm-hmm. enough, a prime example of what a college coach can do going to the NFL as opposed to being the polar opposite of someone like Urban Meyer or even Nick Saban. When he became the head coach, and you talked about his progression going from five to eight to now a playoff contender, 
What were your thoughts on how he's been able to adjust to the NFL game? And when you heard the thoughts about him possibly going back to the college ranks in the middle of the season, at least his name was speculated, about were there any concerns as a fan about would there be any distractions and anything else that would go along? Yeah, so certainly when the Cardinals hired him, there were a lot of people who questioned it because you look at the record Texas Tech and he had a losing record there. And sometimes, you though, you have to look a little deeper. And when you look, okay, Texas Tech is competing against all those really great teams there in Texas for recruits and everything. And you look at it, his offenses were always really good. The teams just didn't have the winning records in part because of defense. And I think you're going to have a hard time recruiting top defensive talent there. So I was optimistic. He came in and the, the offense was a middle of the pack in the NFL and in his first year. And there were some promising signs and there were some things that he was having to adapt. But it does seem like he's adapt. I do still have some concerns with some of the play calling in games. But the one thing you always hear about him is he works very hard. He is in the building early. And that's such a cliche thing to say, but like our previous head coach, Bruce Arians, I love Bruce Arians, but he was a guy who wasn't, he wasn't the first one in last one out. He'd been coaching forever and he knows his stuff. And I love Bruce. I'm not trying to be critical of him, but when you've got a coach who works hard, shows up and is smart, which I believe Kingsbury is, I think that's a combination that he's going to figure it out. So I felt good about it. It does seem like he's made improvements and he's growing. So I'm fine about that. Now, in terms of, you know, the whole rumor of whether he was going to go back to the college ranks, when I heard that Kingsbury's got another year in his contract, and I know there are ways out of those things. My take was, you know, someone leaked that, probably his agent, to try to get him some leverage for negotiating an extension with the Cardinals. He kind of, you know, smartly just kind of played it kind of, you know, he just didn't really comment about it. He neither shot it down nor confirmed it. And it ended up being nothing because they ended up hiring someone anyway. But, you know, I saw it and I thought, no, this is all about leverage for his contract. So I wasn't really worried about him going back to the college game this year. He said, you mentioned that Cliff Kingsbury's intelligent guy and been able to make adjustments. And I know we're going to keep intertwining him with Urban Meyer, but he seems to be a very good people person and, and yeah. being able to stick to his word and, and having his players believe in him. That's the key. Yeah, that's the thing you hear is the players really love him and he's a player's coach. And in fact, there are some folks in the Cardinals fan base who are critical. They feel like he's too too soft on the players or whatever and or they need more discipline. And, you know, the Cardinals have had some trouble with offensive penalties, a lot of false starts. So I guess there's some fodder to believe that. But he seems like a guy who thus far has done a good job of, you know, saying the right things, doing the right things, working hard. And, you know, Urban Meyer is a guy who came in with a big reputation and a long track record in history in college. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know him and I don't want to make too many speculative thoughts on that, but it at least feels like Urban Meyer came in just kind of expecting to be able to just succeed on the merit of his accomplishments and his system. And I don't know the whole thing about him not flying back with the team and all this stuff like that just doesn't feel like a guy who's working and committed to the process the way a guy like Cliff Kingsbury is, who's always at the facility. So, yeah, it does feel different. You know, it feels like a guy in Urban Meyer who felt like he'd arrived and was relying on his his track record, whereas you've got a guy like Cliff Kingsbury who feels like he's got something to prove. And I'll take the guy who's smart, works hard, and has something to prove every day. Going to the Super Bowl prediction, who do you have coming out of the NFC who do you have coming out of the AFC? What's the mm. final score and who wins? Okay. 
So the AFC, I'm going to go with Kansas City right now. You know, they started out slow and everyone kind of th- forgot about them. And, and then they kind of done better down the stretch. You know, the AFC is a little bit of a mess. It's, it's hard to know who the great teams are over there. Every team over there has been a flawed and had some bad stretches. But Mahomes is such a great quarterback and Andy Reid is such an experienced coach. I'm going to go with Kansas City finding a way to come out of the AFC. NFC, you know, I originally was going to go with Tampa Bay because of Brady. I, you know, he is the GOAT, as they say. But that just felt too boring. I didn't want to go, you know, a repeat. So I'm going with Green Bay. I think Green Bay is probably the best team in the NFC right now. I went with Green Bay and Kansas City. And I went ahead and had Kansas City with the win on that um, score. I think it would be probably a high-scoring game. These are two teams. Neither of these teams are great defenses. So maybe something like 34 to 28 or something like that, Kansas City. If Belichick isn't in that game, you know, Belichick's the only coach today that I feel like if he's in the Super Bowl, it could be a, a weird, you know, 13 to 3 or a blowout. Or he just has that mastermind coaching ability to coach up games that become blowouts or dominant defensive performances. But I feel like every other team in the league besides a Belichick coach team, it's going to be kind of a shootout or a boat race. Joe, I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to do this. And I really appreciate you coming on because really, like I said, mentioned Cardinals fans were hard to find. And <laughs> you might be my go-to guy for now on every time the Cardinals make the playoffs. Before we wrap this up, what are ways people could reach out to you? And do you have any shout outs, anything you'd like to promote? Yeah. So the best place to find me, I actually have a YouTube channel where I do Arizona Cardinals content. I launched it in April and it, it, you know, I've been fortunate that it, it, it's grown and I've got a wonderful community of subscribers and I'm a little over 2000 subscribers about eight months in. So I've been really fortunate the way it's grown and it's called the Cardinal Rule. The Cardinal Rule, Cardinal Single, I kind of went on that old kind of saying and a play on words there. And if you go to my YouTube channel and subscribe, you'll find links to my Twitter and Instagram. I'm most active on Twitter. Twitter is kind of a play on my name, Joe Camo. It's J-O-K-O-M-O-13. But the easiest thing is just find the Cardinal Rule YouTube and you'll find links to all my socials there. Here with me to talk about the Los Angeles Rams and their hopes is longtime Rams fan, and he was on last year talking about the Rams as well. And, you know, he's got to be feeling a little bit positive. But Donald Johnson, I'm glad you're here to be able to talk about the Rams here on the podcast. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me again. Well, Donald, how did you become a fan of the Rams? And what was the attraction to them? And how did you stick with them, especially being on the East Coast? Well, I'm in my 50s. So I started playing football when I was a little kid. And we used to play at the Salvation Army. And I played on a team that had a horn on the helmet like the Rams did. So when I saw a Rams helmet on TV, I started liking that team from probably eight or nine years old. So that's the reason why I became a Rams fan, because I like the helmet. So, What has been your biggest moment as a Rams fan? Was it the return to L.A.? Was it the return to the Super Bowl? Is it even the greatest show on turf back in the St. Louis days? Yeah, I've just been a Rams fan. There's a bunch of memories that I can think of growing up watching the Rams, you know, and in, in 79, the Steelers, Rams, Super Bowl, things like that. So there's been a bunch of good memories. Of course, the Kurt Warner, greatest show on turf, Isaac Bruce, Torrey Holt and them guys. There's been some great stories. And then when I was watching that uh, 
the Cincinnati game, they were saying that Joe Burrows possibly could break the Los Angeles Rams, Norm Van Brocklin, you know, most yards in a game, you know, and that was a Rams, but that was a little bit before my time. But it just goes to show you, sometimes they thought those guys didn't throw back then, but 500 and whatever yards in any NFL game is a good game. So, yeah, there's so many great things that I remember growing up, the Young Bloods, and I've always been a Rams fan, and I just always root for that. And anything, I've tried to find the good, no matter how good or bad they are. Going into the season, I know the biggest headline was the acquisition of Matt Stafford from Detroit in exchange for Jared Goff. Going into the season, what were your expectations? Were you thinking 12 wins in the division title as well automatically, or was that something that you were a bit cautiously optimistic about? Well, I thought we gave enough first-round draft picks around to get some of the best players last year in a couple of years, Jalen Ramsey and all these guys. Matthew Stafford, they did give up quite a bit. He's 32 years old. I was kind of a Jared Goff fan. I mean, I believe any quarterback will be a good quarterback if they got an offensive line to protect him and a running game to set that off. Sometimes, you know, for me, I was seeing Matthew Stafford, but he played on a terrible team, you know, so he he put up the yards. But when you think about the yards that he put up, how many of those yards were garbage yards? They were he playing on teams that were not very good. And then. Okay, they're playing from behind all the time, so the quarterback's going to throw 50 times, make 50 attempts every game. So, I mean, you're going to look with those padded numbers if you're playing garbage points all the time. But I was excited about Matthew Stafford. Everybody was saying it was an upgrade from Jared Goff, but I didn't watch Matthew Stafford enough, you know, going up maybe Thanksgiving Day, (laughs) you know, things like that. But I thought maybe an upgrade, a smarter, intelligent, player is what made me more intrigued that I I think he knew how to call a game and I think he knew how to take control of that situation where I think Jared Goff was being told what to do and I think now with Matthew Stafford he can run an offense he can check down on plays at the line of scrimmage and I don't think Goff was that good at doing that definitely and I think the experience that Stafford had going through the insanity that he had to do with Detroit learning how to play without a big weapon like he did in Detroit, like Calvin Johnson. Now he's got himself a little bit more acclimated to playing with a a variety of weapons now in L.A. with Odell Beckham Jr. and and Cooper Cup. There's even so many more guys that that are too numerous to name. But going into the season, was there a particular moment that made you feel that these Rams are legit and that they can be a threat for not only NFC West, but the Super Bowl as well? Well, sometimes, you know, before the season starts, you glance at some of those odds that they're taking in Vegas about the chances of getting to the Super Bowl. And there were a lot of people thinking that there's a good chance that they might get there. And I looked at it, but I'm always a pessimist when it comes to stuff like that, man. I never look at, you know, just because we think it's Games aren't won on paper. Just because on paper you look good doesn't necessarily equate two wins on the field. So you have to perform and you have to do what you can do on the field to make you have a winning score, you know, to win the game. So I knew we were playoff contenders because if we weren't, it was going to be sad. With all the talent we had, there's no way unless you just did not play up to your capability that you're going to be. So I'm thinking playoffs. I didn't know. I mean, it's funny how people were picking Seattle to win the West. 
you know, at the beginning of the season. And the Rams were like picked third. Sometimes the people were picking on that, but their overall, there's things that they were saying, but nothing less than playoffs this year. That's for sure. Was there a particular game in the season, a loss or a moment that made you sort of question how good the Rams were going to be, where maybe these guys aren't going to live up to all the hype? Was it the loss against Arizona? Was it the loss to the Niners? Was it even the loss against Tennessee or Green Bay? Um, I thought the Tennessee game, in my mind, I mean, I know Green Bay is good, and I knew the Cardinals had a cape, you know, but the 49ers and Rams, because they're division foes, both of them could be 1-19 in and still play a game out of this world. But I thought the Tennessee just took it to them. They just punched them in the mouth, pushed them all over the field. I was like, oh, my gosh, they're getting their behinds whipped. The Cardinals, that first round they did too, so that game kind of warmed me, the Tennessee game did. Looking into the bracket of the NFC playoffs, they're pretty much the Rams are a lock. Now where they're going to be, that's going to be the other question. But who do you think in the NFC playoffs the Rams match up the best with? I wouldn't mind playing the Cardinals again if, if that's the way. It, I mean, it may if the Rams are last seed division winners, they would play the Cardinals, but they would be home at that game. I think the Rams match up with them good in I would probably like to play them. I mean, in any of the wild cards, I'd rather play, you know, but uh, as long as we didn't have to play Green Bay, <laughs> you know, but I think Cardinals would be all right for me to match up. And it looks like possibly that might happen depending on the next two games. I know you mentioned Green Bay as one of the teams that you're hoping not to see. Is there anybody else that scares you? Is it Niners? Is it Dallas? Anybody else that scares you in the NFC playoff bracket? Dallas is definitely a team and I've got so many friends that like the Cowboys and they're on that train heavy now and they're playing some of the best football I've seen their defenses stepping up. That's going to be a tough get for anybody that plays against the Cowboys. So green Bay and Dallas, I'm not feeling either one of them at all. Not first round. I know last year, everybody was sort of saying that Sean McVay's luster is sort of starting to wear off, especially a couple of years removed from the super bowl and, and then seeing the struggles they had, even though 10 and six last year was fairly good. Now they're 11 and four. What is it that you've seen in Sean McVay that made you feel that his career obituary has yet to be written? I love his energy. I mean, I love how he runs down the sideline. And I think like that, sometimes I just don't think his clock management is the best you know, when they get way ahead, then they put this zone, you know, a lot of teams do it, but it seems like the Rams leave the middle wide open all the time. You know, just like in Minnesota, they, they were move, moving down the field, like four or five plays. They were down the end of the field. I just, if you've been winning the game, the way you were playing the whole game, I don't understand why you can't just keep playing like you were playing instead of doing this prevent stuff. I just don't like the way he does. And then a lot of times they call timeouts out of the blue you know, when I know he looks at the defense because he's an intelligent guy, but he looks at the defense and goes, oh, we're going to change that, right? If they can move the offense of that, you know, that fast, he should be being able to save some of them timeouts when they need them. So I think sometimes his clock management's not the best. Yeah, and that's interestingly enough, I know he's very offensive-minded. How have you seen him handle a defense, especially as a head coach and offensive-minded head coach, and now he's in – the first year with a new defensive coordinator after Brandon Staley left to take the uh, the job with the Los Angeles Chargers. But how do you think 
he's been able to handle defense and have Raheem Morris run his defense for him. I do like the way Raheem Morris does his defense. They're just rushing forward. They don't blitz many times. They blitz once in a while. Um, when you got a corner that can take their team's best receiver out of the game and they can do that press coverage and things like that. The offense is what bothers me. They do enough to stay in the game and they had that bend, don't break mentality. I mean, teams move up and down the uh, field against the Rams, but when it gets on the 20 yard line in that red zone, they press the defense is closer. They can't play that real out mode. So they seem to do a lot better when the other teams in, in the red zone, their offense, as far as the Rams offense, I think they rely a lot on Cooper Cup, And I think that Matthew Stafford, they moved him up under center after the last four weeks, a little bit more than I've seen the whole season. So I, I get that, but he's not very mobile. I mean, they, they used to roll Jared Goff out on the side and they've been doing it a little bit here lately. But if Matthew Stafford can't get rid of the ball in about two seconds, two and a half seconds, standing in that pocket, it's a sack. So he's not very nimble-footed in that pocket the way I would like it to be. And they put him in that position. So they've been changing week to week. They used to do a lot more guys in motion, flipping to motion, doing things. They've been doing a little bit more. But last year, they did a lot. That second-guess offense made teams think, and you had to play it safe, and you can't always you know, do that. But when you can sit as a, a fan and say, oh, you know what they're going to do now, when you become a predictable offense, which the Rams shouldn't be predictable. They got enough weapons that they shouldn't be that predictable on that. You know, when they get ahead, okay, we're going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. And then we give the other team the ball back with way too much time left, you know, and opportunities to do that. So I just think there's more to what they need to do, you know, on offense. The defense is going to be there. I mean, they've got the weapons to do that. Johnson, the third, they went to Cleveland. I liked him. I wish they hadn't got rid of him. But it seems like they got rookies that are stepping up to the game. And that's a good thing. When you got a third round draft pick that's starting and making plays, that's what you hope. Good draft. Going to the prediction for the Super Bowl. Who do you have coming out of the NFC? Who do you have coming out of the AFC? Who wins the game? And what's the final score? Uh, unfortunately, I don't think the Rams are going to be the Super Bowl. I think they maybe make it to the NFC Championship on that. But uh, I think the Green Bay and the Kansas City Chiefs are my teams. The Chiefs are playing good. I, I just think that's going to be the Super Bowl. And I believe the Chiefs will beat the Packers in the Super Bowl. Probably that's going to be high scoring, like 35-28, something like that. I'll tell you what I would be looking forward to is watching the Cowboys and the Packers play. I'd love to see that game. I wish it was like this weekend. I don't want to wait to the playoffs. I just want to see when guys are clicking on all cylinders. I'd like to see those games play. And then this weekend, Cowboys got the Cardinals. So we'll see what they're made of. Cardinals are a little bit better than what they've been beating, but the Cardinals haven't played good the last few weeks with COVID stuff, you know, so they're getting to a point where they need this game and Dallas have already clinched it. So I would like the Cardinals to lose. And then the Rams play the Ravens. The Rams beat the Ravens. Cardinals lose. Then the Rams won the West, you know, just like that. Well, Donald, I do appreciate yeah. you taking time out of your busy schedule to do this. I want to know if you had any shout outs you wanted to give in to anybody, anything you wanted to promote as well. And what are ways people can reach out to you to talk Rams football? 
Well, they can just look me up on Facebook and then it goes to my Instagram account. So just look up Donald Johnson and I got my Rams jersey on there. And just shout out to my boy, Mike Birdingham. I just finished watching his little Ravens deal a little while ago. So uh, shout out to there, Mike Birdingham. So uh, all I can say is go Rams. And of course, we can't talk about the NFC playoffs and the NFL playoffs in general without the defending world champions. They are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And here with me to talk about the world champs, the defending champs, is longtime Buccaneers fan Byron Taylor. Byron, thank you so much for, for taking time out of your busy schedule to come on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, man. As in a busy schedule, meaning sleeping in on a Saturday ignoring my pets and debating whether or not I want to catch up on work or clean my house or play destiny. Honestly, that's living the dream. That is definitely living the dream. <laughs> Byron wanted to start off as I ask everybody comes on this podcast, especially talking about their teams. How did you become a Buccaneers fan and what was the attraction to them? And were you a fan back in the creamsicle days? No, 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 no. Okay, so I'm from Mississippi. I grew up on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. My parents, well, my dad's from Mississippi. My mom's from Houston. Mom's a longtime Oilers fan turned Titans fan when they moved. My dad's a 49ers fan. So when I was younger, like, I loved the triplets. I, I was all about Aikman, Irvin, and Emmitt Smith, like, with the Cowboys. And, like, after they won the Super Bowl in 95 and they started getting older, I started getting older. So... 1997 rolls around, first game in the year in Old Tampa Stadium. Bucks play the 49ers. It was the first game in the Red and Pewter. I was not about that creamsicle life. And I know, like, some diehard Bucks fans adore and love the creamsicles. I don't. They're nice for throwback day, but I don't really like them. I don't. So, first game in the Red and Pewter. Sap drags Jerry Rice down by his face mask. Jerry Rice tears his ACL. They could cut Steve Young in the game, and then the Bucks win the game. And I'm like, who are these dudes? Who, who is this team? So, of course, the very next year, I'm like 14 years old. They open up Raymond James Stadium. There's a pirate ship in the stadium. Come on, man. I was sold. I was 14. I was like, yo, they got a pirate. Yo, and it's got cannons? Yo, bet. Say less. This is my team. So, yeah, I've been a Bucks fan, like, pretty much ever since 97, 98. Once they opened up Raymond James, I was, like, solidified. I'm like, yeah, this is my team. What is your most memorable moment as a Buccaneers fan? Was it this most recent Super Bowl? Was the previous one under Gruden? What is it? So, the funny thing is, like, my most memorable moment, I actually didn't get to watch live because I was, like, 19 at the time and working at a grocery store. So, I missed the second half of the uh, the NFC Championship game in 03. But my most memorable moment is Rondé Barber's pick six. Just him going down the sidelines, closing the vet, pointing at the, the name on the back of the jersey. Oh, man. Like, I mentioned to some of my clients sometimes, like, my affection for Rondé Barber. And I, like, you know, every time I see him on screen or I hear his voice, I'm like, look at that beautiful man. Look at him. With that bald head and that beard. Look at him. He looking good, baby. And one of my clients one time was like, why do you like that man so much? I'm like, let me show you why. Donovan, we had pick six, 95 yards in the vet. This is why I love that man. So it's Rondé's pick six, and I think maybe Derrick Brooks's pick six in the Super Bowl. And then this Super Bowl was, like, really, really satisfying because I got to enjoy it with my daughter. And, of course, she wasn't alive for the first one. <laughs> in the foot. And as we celebrated the game, celebrated the Super Bowl, we get back to my house, and my daughter's like, 
yeah, you know what, Dad? I'm actually going to remember this Super Bowl. And I was like, baby, you weren't alive for the last one. You weren't even born yet, sweetheart. What were the expectations coming into the season? I know defending champs, the biggest goal is defending the crown. But coming in, Brady's a year older, and Gronk is a little bit more banged up, another year older as well. What were you thinking the Bucks could do coming off the championship? Did you think there would be a Super Bowl hangover? I was definitely worried that there would be one, especially knowing like that Cowboys game. I was like real worried about that with the hangover, with Dak coming back, with Brady's older. And lo and behold, I look up and Jordan Whitehead is not starting the season. So I'm like, oh, I mean, we already kind of suspect in the secondary already. So I'm like, man, come on, let's see what happens. I mean, thankfully, we clutched out that Dallas game. I think my expectation for this year was definitely being in the hunt to repeat for sure. The funny thing with last year was like with COVID and everything was like, yeah, if the season ends, then hey, cool. I'm not going to get excited until the season ends because this could just end because of COVID at any moment. And as it kept going and going and going, I'm like, wait a minute, we're in the Super Bowl. So by the time we had the boat parade, I was kind of again like, okay, I'm like through the roof with euphoria. But then I'm starting to worry like, these dudes who used to just always lose, how are they going to respond to winning? So I was a little worried, but I think I still had expectations that we would be in the hunt to repeat. Was there a point in the season that you knew out of the gate, they're going back to the playoffs. They're going to have a very long run in the postseason. Hmm. Probably that Colts game a couple weeks ago, because the Colts actually came to play in that game. And then out of nowhere, we stormed back in the second half was like, nah, we the champs. Like, you about to get this work, you know, a second half. And Lenny went off. I think that game for sure was like, oh, I think we good. Because, like, beating up on the Falcons is one thing. Beating up on some of the weaker opponents that we've had this year. But that Colts game, and they had been playing really well coming into that game. And once the second half got going, we started getting rolling on offense. And the defense started shutting Carson Wentz down. I was like, oh, yes, this is the team I want to see. So definitely that Colts game for sure. Was there a particular game on the schedule that gave you pause? Was there a loss that gave you a little bit of pause about how effective it could be in the postseason? Was it the Washington game? Was it the Rams game? Was it the New Orleans game? Ooh. Okay, so I don't remember much of that Rams game. I was at my friend's wedding in Denver, and um, we had a good time. So I uh, passed out and fell asleep after the wedding uh, because the wedding was like at noon. So I fell asleep in my hotel room like in the second half when I took a nap. I think we were down three at halftime. When I woke up, we were down 17. So I was like, what the hell just happened in this game? But that Washington game. Yeah, that Washington game. I was like, what is up with us today? Like New Orleans, Sean Payton going to pull something out the bag to try to neutralize us. This is what he does. But that Washington game definitely threw me for a loop was like i don't know what's up with this team we can't play like that and repeat for sure do you feel like teams with speedy quarterbacks and mobile quarterbacks will cause tampa bay problems or do you feel like it's just more of a team that has a running game and that keeps brady off the field no no i think the mobile quarterback is definitely something that can definitely harm us because as you saw with josh allen we were dominating buffalo And then they started using Josh Allen more in the run game. He was their leading rusher in the game. And I don't know what it is with with the Bucs. We've always had the strong pass rush, but it's always been a thing where it was speedy quarterbacks that would always get out the side door. 
and would cause havoc, whether it was McNabb or Vic or Cam or nowadays, you know, it was Josh Allen, Taylor Heineke, whenever we seem to play him, because he seems to constantly get out of the damn pass rush whenever we play the last time, a couple times we played Washington. I think that might have been like maybe like the second or third time I'd actually watch a Bills game and watch Josh Allen play. Dude got skill. Dude's a real deal. Looking at the NFC playoffs, who do you feel is the team that the Bucks match up the best with? I want Green Bay again. And I guess it's just the petty in me because of the COVID shit with Aaron Rodgers. I just want him to bow down to Brady again. Whether it's in Lambeau or Raymond James, I just want him to take that L again because I didn't dislike Aaron Rodgers before the COVID stuff. I didn't. I really liked Aaron Rodgers. But then again, with the COVID stuff, made me kind of realize that that smug, smarmy, I'm really smart, I'm smarter than all of y'all kind of vibe that you always got from Aaron Rodgers, like it fit. And I was like, oh, nah, nah, nah. Don't get me wrong. I know Brady's a, a Brady's a MAGA guy. Don't get me wrong. Look, I have to root for him just because. I'm a Mike Evans guy. I'm going to keep it a thousand percent when it comes to the Bucks. I'm a Mike Evans guy. But not to mention with the Packers, that go back to the Brett Favre days. I love beating the Packers. I'll say it makes me think of Major League Two, where after Charlie Sheen comes back, become a wild thing, and he's talking about that one guy, Jack Parkman. It's like, okay, you got this guy on base. No, I'm a walk. I want Parkman. I'm a, yeah, I, I want Parkman. <laughs> yeah, I want <laughs> Parkman. Like, if you want Parkman, be ready. That's all. Yeah, and, J- and Jake just goes, all right, go get him, Rick. <laughs> Gives him a ball and just walks off. <laughs> That's all it is. And like I said, that that always seems to be that thing, especially there's one opponent everybody's looking forward to. It doesn't matter who it is, who it is, rival, somebody that's just in the conference that's in your way to uh, the Super Bowl. That's how it ends up being. And it seems like it's at Green Bay. Teams yeah. that scare you in the NFC. Is it the Cardinals, the, the known unknown? Is it Washington? By the chance you might end up running into them again or facing them again in, in a different situation. So far, it's one and one Heineke versus Brady. But who particularly scares you as a Bucks fan? I would say the Cardinals, the combo of Kyler Murray's agility, his speed. That some gun has a damn arm. Like... As small as he is, that man has a cannon for an arm. And he's so mobile. And like I said, with our pass rush, like we blitz a lot. So if he can evade the blitz and get upfield, it's a problem. And of course, he's got some nice weapons, Christian Kirk. And then realize Zach Ertz went over. Like I looked up and Zach Ertz was on their team and was like, when did that happen? <laughs> but of course, DeAndre Hopkins, man. I would definitely be worried about if my secondary could handle DeAndre Hopkins. We did a good job on Devontae Adams last year, but I would definitely be worried about what we would do with Newt because that dude is so good. I know all my cousins in Houston who are Texans fans, every time he do something, they just hold their head in shame. One thing I want to ask you, we always do a question sort of off the top of my head before we go into our prediction. Leonard Fournette, that was a guy, you looked at it, had that huge resume from LSU went to purgatory in Jacksonville, and then all of a sudden finding his way in Tampa Bay, he's been revitalized, especially that four-touchdown game he had recently. What is it that Leonard Fournette does to help this offense, especially help out Tom Brady? Mm. To preface this, I'm a Rojo guy, but I love Lenny, though. I think the thing that Lenny is doing is just being consistent, consistent in the pass blocking He's gotten a little bit better being consistent with catching the ball out of the backfield, but he's gotten real good about being consistent about pass blocking. 
And I know that's something that Brady absolutely relies on where it's kind of something Rojo has struggled with. And that's kind of part of the reason why Rojo kind of got benched in that Dallas game was he just blew a clear block and B.A. ended up benching him for that. But with Lenny, it's just that consistency of catching the ball out of the backfield. And he's had a couple drops, but like consistently hitting the hole, getting upfield. And getting real helpful in the pass blocking game because he was a key block in that pass play that won us the game last week. Do you feel like if Tampa wins it all again, is this the end of the run for Brady or you think he's going to go to 50? And do you think Bruce Arians holds on for another title after that? Go for three. Hmm. I don't think Brady goes for 50. And I think he already kind of alluded to it. He doesn't have much more time on the clock. And I don't think with our cap situation, we're going to keep kicking that can down the road year after year after year to try to keep Brady, knowing that at some point we're going to have to play Kyle Trask. I can see us winning the Super Bowl if we win again this year. Brady's on the contract for next year. And then they try to bring like Chris Godwin back, which I really need them to bring Chris Godwin back regardless. Like him and Mike are a amazing duo together. If Brady's on the contract another year, Gronk's going to sign probably one more year. I think they get rid of Antonio Brown. I think JPP might be done because we already got his replacement in Tryon Shayanka. And I think we try to go again for, for the three-peat. And yeah, I think B.A. would stick around probably to go for the three-peat. And I could absolutely see, like, in a year or two, B.A. being like, all right, I'm passing the reins over to Byron. It's Byron's team now. Because I think B.A., I mean, I'm amazed that we were able to get B.A. to come out of retirement. And you want to root for, for Bruce Arians, for sure. Like, he seemed like a, a, just a genuinely good dude. And I was happy to, that we was able to get him a chip as a head coach. Now we move on to the Super Bowl prediction. Who do you have coming out of the NFC? Who do you have coming out of the AFC? Who wins the Super Bowl? And what's the final score? Hmm. Okay. I got us winning the NFC again. AFC. Who's in, who's in the lead in the AFC? Oh, the Patriots are in the lead in the AFC just randomly. Um, no, nah, I think the Chiefs. I think it's a rematch from last year. I think it's the Chiefs and Bucks. And I think we win in a shootout this year. 38-35 Bucks win in the Super Bowl against the Chiefs. I just can't see, even though like with Belichick being a mastermind, I can't see him going to the Super Bowl with a rookie quarterback who barely throws the ball. I just can't see it. I just hope if it is a rematch, I hope this Super Bowl is more entertaining than last year. I tuned out after the weekend and like, I can't watch this game anymore. It was like the Rams Patriots Super Bowl. It was, it was abysmal. And just like they said, that line from Billy Madison, everybody feels absolutely dumber for just watching it. That That's what it was. Well, my friend is a big weekend fan. So her and well, she and I were just like sending memes back and forth to each other after halftime. But like, Hey, admittedly. And it's funny because. Our two Super Bowl wins are two very unenjoyable, unwatchable Super Bowls, unless you're Bucks fans. <laughs> because they're both blowouts. They're both blowouts. So unless you're a Bucks fan and you're just reveling in just like the ass beating that we dished out in the Super Bowl, they're not fun games to watch. But it's just like, look at that. Look how happy we were that day. It's beautiful. Do you have any... Shout outs that you want to give out, anything you want to promote, and how are ways people can reach out to you to talk Bucks football on social media? Yeah, sure. I would like to shout out, obviously, my friend Stephanie, who hit me up on the link on Facebook um, and her podcast, Mocha Mendes Podcast. I did a, a guest spot on there a few weeks ago talking about mental health. 
Shout out to my Space Wakanda crew, my gaming crew for Destiny, and the Black Eye Tips, because without Rod and Karen and their podcast, I would not have met so many of these people who have brought me into podcasting, who have become friends, you know, that I love and appreciate so much. So I appreciate all of them. I would like to promote, first off, the people at Canton and the Hall of Fame voters Ronnie Barber needs to be in the Hall of Fame this year. Stop playing. Stop playing with me. I was happy John Lynch got in last year, but Ronde probably should have got in before John Lynch. I'm just saying. <laughs> but uh, last thing I want to promote is my podcast, which is called The Captain's Couch. It's a mental health podcast that is focusing on black mental health relationships, personal development that I love to sprinkle black pop culture as talk like ways to link psychological talking points, theories, phenomena, things like cognitive deficits and cognitive distortions and all those kind of things. Um, So I love to use like pop culture references to to link those things. So I'm kind of waiting for the last season of Insecure to finish so then I can get back on the mic and recap the season and going into the new year. You can catch me on social media at Captain, which is C-A-P-T underscore Ingenuity on Instagram and Twitter. And then my podcast is The Captain's Couch on Instagram and Captain's Couch on Twitter. I am here to talk about the Dallas Cowboys with longtime Cowboys fan Quincy Peaker, and I'm glad to have you on the show. I know when I put that thing up, you were the first one to respond. We're getting ready to talk a little bit about them boys because they are leading the NFC East right now. After last year, a uh, little bit of struggles with the injury of the Dak Prescott, but now they are firmly entrenched, a two-game lead in the NFC East at this moment as we talk. So how long have you been a fan of the Cowboys, and what made you become a Cowboys fan? I've been a fan of the Cowboys since about 01, 02. The first Cowboys game I ever watched was Cowboys versus the Philadelphia Eagles on TV. And I just liked the Cowboys from that day forth. Was there anything in particular that stood out about them? Like you said, you watched them and you just you fell in love with them. Anything in particular? Was the colors? Was it anything else? Sometimes people pick being a fan for the, the strangest reasons. My main reason that I became a fan was because the line that they had at that year was just they were just pushing people all over the place. I mean, the running back was just he was getting untouched for six yards. That's what I fell in love with. I fell in love with the offensive line to begin with. And as you can see, we stay with a great offensive line. Oh, yeah, definitely. And they are one of the, the strongest offensive lines to you. What is your most memorable moment as a Cowboys fan? I know there's plenty to pick from. I know over the past mm-hmm. couple of decades, but what sticks out to you the most as a Cowboys the fan? The Des Bryant catch. Oh, my gosh. That still eats me up to this day. I still say Des Bryant caught that pass. It, I mean, it was a tough call. And it's funny when you talk about all the different names that come through. And I remember when I started watching football in 94, so it's Aikman, it's Irvin, it's Emmett Smith, it's Darren Woodson, it's Russell oh. Maryland, Charles Haley. Um, I know Kenton Norton Jr. played for a little bit before he went to San Francisco. There's plenty of guys. Oh, oh shoot. Uh, Dion, of course. I mean, Dion, I say prime time. <laughs> It's like when you think of all those names, it's like so many. And, you know, when you think somebody who's older than me is, you know, older than 38, they think about Stallback and all those other guys. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's just crazy to think about how impactful that is. And, and especially how those names stick in your head years after they're finished playing, too. That, that's the big Years. Thing. Moose. I forgot. Moose Johnson. 
Moose Johnson. Yes, sir. Mm. Them names going to always stick. Oh, yeah. Going into the season, what were the expectations? I know Dak missed a chunk of last season after that that injury and him coming back healthy and then him also getting that contract extension. What were your thoughts about what Dallas could do this season with a healthy quarterback? I knew Dallas could make some noise with a healthy quarterback, but like you said, coming back off of an injury is always a hard thing to do. And then you see how everybody been playing in the NFL after they get money. So I was scared about that too. And then that Redskins defense was crazy. Jalen Hurts was starting to find his way through with the Eagles. The Giants seemed like they were going to be so great with, with all them pieces. They picked up Kenny Galladay. So I was like, it's going to be good. The way we started, I was I was surprised. The way Dak played the first three, four games, I was like, oh, he's back. What did you see that he did well compared to the past? He's starting to like really settle down and like instead of taking a sack, he's starting to learn to throw the ball away. He's gotten a lot more accurate. That was my main problem with Dak Prescott when we first got him. Is like his accuracy was it, it wasn't there. He's got a lot more accurate. I mean, he looked like a veteran quarterback right now. He he's playing great. Was there a particular point in the season that you were feeling good that Dallas was making the playoffs? Oh, yeah. Within the first three games, I mean, we lost to the Buccaneers by two, the defending champions, Tom Brady, arguably the greatest of all time. We lost to them by two points. It was a great game. Put up 29 points on the defense that shut Patrick Mahomes and the number one offense down last season, the Super Bowl. In the beginning of the season, we looked great. It's always in your division. It's always hard to beat. We came out, beat the Eagles 41-21 by 20 points. We looked real good. We looked on fire. Things just started to slow down now. What was there a particular game where you felt this team is not making the playoffs, no, regardless of how big of a lead they have in this division. That Kansas City Chiefs game, 9-19, and when you are the number one offense as far as points scored, averaging 34.2 points a game, and then you only can score nine on a horrible, hurt Kansas City defense. I was like, if we make the playoffs, there's no way we make it out the first round. Not like that. It's no way. Your offense has to be able to put up points. One of the questions I noticed that even though the, the Cowboys have been having success, Ezekiel Elliott has really been quiet. I know it's been more about Dak. I don't know if it's just a change in offensive philosophy with Mike McCarthy going more with his offensive things, going with Amari Cooper and all those other guys and all the other weapons as opposed to what Jason Garrett would do, giving the ball to Zeke. But to you, what is going on with Zeke? And man, Zeke, after he got that money, Zeke turned into a different back. I said we bend Zeke and start Pollard is what I say. I say Pollard runs harder than Zeke at this point in time. The only thing that I can say about Zeke that I really love to see, Zeke blocks like a running back that's 600 pounds. Like he blocks oncoming linebackers, linemen that gets loose. We need that for Dak to have those great passes that he has when he has to extend the play. Zeke, if you look real close, Zeke is actually helping protect. But as far as running the ball, he's not there right now. It's, it's not him. I'm hoping that he get his legs back. By the time we get back into the deeper run into the playoffs, but without that running game, it's, that's why we have we've been losing. You can't win a game with Dak got to throw the ball forty five times a game. You just can't do it. Yeah, and it's interesting. I'm looking at the stats. I was surprised. Even in eleven games, he has seven hundred twenty yards, which is it seems quiet as opposed to in the past where you know he didn't have big games. And even then, he could be on a decent pace. He's going to break a thousand yards barring any injury. And his average per carry four point five yards per carry is actually probably his best since 2019 when he had almost 1,360 yards. Yeah, I mean, he's not doing bad, but like I said in the beginning, with that offensive line, you don't have to do too much. Like, Zeke, when you run up the middle, Zeke's getting three yards before he's even touched. Like So, I mean, it's not hard to average four and a half yards a carry when you're getting three yards per touch. Yeah, 
Definitely makes a lot of sense. I mean, when you think about it, it's just, it's surprising. He's only 26 and they normally said to decline for a running back is about 30 and maybe, you know, maybe a little sooner than that. But looking at it, 1,500, almost 1,600 carries in his career. And he's had, again, his worst season was last year. And prior to that, it was 2017 when he only played in 10 games. But, uh, I mean, he's easily going to bounce back. You know, he might find the fountain of youth like some running backs do this time of the year, especially when it's hand the ball off the running back. Yeah, playoff push. You know, weather's getting colder. Wind's going to knock passes down. The guys are going to get the ball to carry. But it's weird. The more I look at the numbers, it's like, yeah, he's having a quiet season, but he's still solid so far. He's still doing what he's supposed to do. The the thing that we have, the problem that we have with Zeke is that he can't get those third and threes, third and fours that we need. And it's ended up in field goals. And then Greg Zerlon's missing those. He's not making too big. He's not doing too great with the field goals. And then you got and Tony Pollard's trying to do what he can do. But our bank main concern right now is converting on third down and staying, keeping the offense on the field. Looking at the NFC playoff picture, who do you feel like Dallas matches up the best with in the NFC? I know a lot of teams, Arizona, Green Bay, Tampa Bay, a lot of those things are already set and then you know there's plenty of other teams that may make bring up the field in the wild card but who do you think dallas matches up the best with in the nfc in the nfc matchup with the best most likely i say the los angeles rams at this point in time they don't like a three four game skid we don't like a three game skid they just picked up Odell. The chemistry has to get right there we still need we still working on things uh we got demarcus lawrence coming back we got amari cooper they're missing two games, so our chemistry is going to be all out of whack as well. And then looking at the field in the NFC, who's the team that scares you the most? Is it Arizona? Is it Tampa? Is it is it Green Bay? Tampa and Green Bay is they're going to scare me every year because of who they got under center. Like those two quarterbacks under center make things happen with nobody. Like you know what I mean? We didn't know who Chris Hogan was before there was a Brady. You know what I mean? Like that's that's what they do. So they're going to scare you anyway. And then a team that's a sleeper, they're not really a sleeper, Kyle and Mary, and then they have to get pieces together. But with DeAndre Hopkins out there, the way Christian Kirk is playing at this moment in time, their defense is top tier right now. It's, I mean, the NFC is stacked, but the team that scares me the most at this point in time will probably be the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, I know, especially now things are getting a little crazy with adding a seventh team in the playoffs in each conference. Now – the number one seed is important because you definitely get a first round buy. Yes. Before it used to be the top two. Now, if you're the two seed, you get maybe you get the seventh seed. And depending on where everybody is, you'd rather be maybe the three seed. You might get somebody like looking at the same. You don't want to face a team like you might face Washington. And again, that would be the crazy thing. You end up facing them like three times, two in the regular season, once in the playoffs, because you never know what could happen. But and looking at the rest of the field, Minnesota, and that's a scary thing. The Rams, as you mentioned as well. It, it, it makes things very, very interesting now with the seventh team in each conference. Yes, it, it's very scary. It's just nerve-wracking. <laughs> Before we go to our predictions for the Super Bowl, when Mike McCarthy was named the head coach, I know a lot of people, I knew a lot of Cowboys fans who were thinking, okay, another retread coach. Why not find somebody younger? Why not go with Kellen Moore? Why not somebody else? So far, it's worked out well. Especially, and it probably would have worked out well if, if Dak didn't get hurt last year. Last year. But to you, what do you feel that Mike McCarthy does well, especially with his pedigree as a Super Bowl winning coach as well? 
Well, one thing that he definitely does well is he distributes the ball. Like, if you go back and look, Dak Prescott no longer only throws the ball to Amari Cooper, no longer only throws it to, you know what I mean, C.D. Lane. Like, he distributes the ball well, real well. The play calling that's been going on lately, as of late is great. I also love the fact that Mike McCarthy gives our offense chances to go for it on fourth down instead of always punting or always kicking the field goal. Like, if it's fourth and two, I say you go for it. If our offense is already marching down the field, I say we go for it. He does that well. Real well. As we go to the Super Bowl prediction, who do you have coming out of the NFC? Who do you have coming out of the AFC? Who wins the Super Bowl? And what's the final score? If we had to go right now, I can't go with my Cowboys right now. I'm not liking the way they're playing at all. Not liking the way they're playing. If we're going right now, I would have to say I see Green Bay. And this is going to be a bold statement, but a lot of people, they, they've counted them out too early. I see Green Bay and Pat Mahomes. I say Pat Mahomes goes back again. I say Green Bay win 17-13. Mm. You don't think it'll be a high-scoring game? Nah, I don't think it's going to be. None of the games this season, towards the end of the season, have been high-scoring like that. Like Chiefs, Cowboys, two of the highest-scoring teams, 9-19. to 19. Like It's just not been uh, one of those seasons where people putting up a lot of points. Mm. I'm not fully sold on the Colts or Bills yet. I love Jonathan Taylor. I'm not fully sold on them to make the Super Bowl yet, though. They got to show me more. And as we start to wrap this up, anyone you want to give shout-outs to, anything you want to promote as well, what are ways people can reach out to you on social media to talk Cowboys football? You can always hit my page. I'm willing to talk sports. You can hit my inbox, however you want to do it. I'm willing to talk sports all day. I talk sports all day regardless. Don't really have any shout-outs. Shout-out to my family, you know. Love y'all. Sharice. You hear in the background. (laughs) Green Bay Packers fan Hunter Quinn is here to talk about the pack and seeing how things are going. How long have you been a Packers fan? What Uh, drew them to you? Birth, basically. Uh, I grew up in Milwaukee and uh, I lived through the Lindy Infante and Don Mikowski era and uh, all of that when I was young and somehow I made it through. And then... uh, Brett Favre was the quarterback when I was 11, I want to say. Started as as uh, I was 11. And, you know, obviously they've been overwhelmingly successful in the last 30 years or so. And so it's not too difficult to be a Packer fan. Of course, I've lived all over the country and uh, lived near uh, Washington fans and Seattle fans and 49er fans. And now I'm living in the... Uh, Uh, the arch nemesis of the Packers. Uh, I live in Minneapolis. So it's good to be a Packer fan. It has always been. And the level of success that they've had uh, of being an elite team in the NFL over the last 25 to 30 years has really been great. It's just a matter of putting everything together and making it and winning a Super Bowl every, you know, hopefully more regularly than every 15 years or so. Going back to all those memories, as you said, you've been a longtime fan of the Packers. What is your most memorable Packers moment? Uh, I think I was 15 when they won the 97 Super Bowl uh, against the Patriots. And I remember that just being just mind blowing to me just because it had been a long time coming. And, uh, you know, it was the culmination of everything that, you know, a lot of close calls and then the excellency that was Brett Favre, it just kind of all came together and they beat the Patriots before the Patriots were Tom Brady's Patriots, which is really kind of interesting because that was just before he started. So I remember being at a buddy's house and I had no idea what 
you know, doing squares was, but I think I ended up winning a cheese head that night as part of the Super Bowl. So it was all around very good day for uh, Packer fans and for me too. Going into the season, what were the expectations? I know last season's playoff loss and then all the turmoil about Aaron Rodgers, whether he was going to come back, whether uh, whether LaFleur was going to listen more to Aaron Rodgers and as well <laughs> as whether the front office was going to stay intact because it right. seems like, unfortunately, Aaron Rodgers – people will say might've been sort of strong arming them to make a change in the front office. Yeah. I think that throughout the Brett Favre era and throughout the Aaron Rodgers area with little exception, I think the expectation is always to get to the NFC championship game and lose. I think that that's pretty much what our expectations are. Every year Vegas has us as a top two or three odds to win the Super Bowl, And so us as Packer fans, we just kind of expect that sort that level of success and we usually get our hearts broken sometime in January you look at the knock on the Packers is you've had two of the top 10 quarterbacks top 15 quarterbacks of all time and you've got two trophies to to show for it so I think that's that's uh what every Packer fan thinks uh going into every season is they're going to have a great level of success Uh, the North has not been very competitive over the last 10 to 15 years. And, um, you know, with, with a few exceptions, they've won the, um, the division. But I think that, you know, with everything that's happened on, on, uh, during the off season, I think that there's, there's a certain amount of people taking sides, whether you're with the Packers or with Aaron Rodgers, what's going to happen. And then they lose 38 to three opening weekend against the saints. And you're thinking, I mean, I heard everything. I, uh, and I saw everything on social media is, you know, Rodgers is tanking, his heart's not in it, and now they're a lock for the playoffs. They're 98% to win the division. And right now, if you go to 538.com, it's an odds uh, website for everything from sports to politics. They have a 17% chance of winning the Super Bowl, which is the highest among any team. So when Aaron says relax and when Aaron says it's just one game, you kind of got to give it to him. And I don't think anybody really knows what's going to happen at the end of the season. I think that's going to be dictated by their levels of success in the playoffs. And I don't know who's really going to be in control. I think, you know, Aaron's going to do what he wants to do. And I think that hopefully management will show that they're interested in making the moves to make this an elite team and for Aaron to have some tools around him. And I'd like to think that when you have Devontae Adams and Valdez Scantling and Aaron Jones around you, I think that would be enough. And obviously the defense has really shown up and done really well this year, being one of the top uh, rush defenses and overall defenses in the league. So if you're Aaron Rodgers and you're like, put some more tools around me and the Packers have to say like, well, this is what you've got. You've got a great defense on the other side of the ball. And then you've got some weapons. Certainly Devontae Adams is top two, three, if not the number one receiver in the league. So whatever happens at the end of the year, I think that's that's the big mystery for every Packer fan right now. Was there a point in the season you were very optimistic that Green Bay was not only going to repeat winning the North, but heading back to the playoffs again? I think when you beat Arizona and on the road as well, um, I think that was a huge statement game. And I think that I'm hoping that it comes down to those two uh, and the uh, and the game is in Green Bay, and I hope that's the NFC Championship game. You know, Tom Brady's going to have his say, and Dak Prescott might have his say. And like you said, there's seven teams now out of 16, and 
you might have a eight and nine Vikings team make the playoffs and uh, get through just like the Giants did a couple years ago. You've got uh, some parity in the NFC and the AFC, really. I don't really know if you can tell who's a complete team and who's got all the pieces to make this work. I think you've seen some really good things out of the Packers, the Cardinals, the Buccaneers, but then they've all lost to mediocre teams. I mean, Tampa Bay loses to Washington, Packers lose to Minnesota, and then you've got the big question marks in Arizona. You've got, is Kyler Murray okay? Is DeAndre Hopkins coming back? You've got a lot to think about when you want to, you know, pick an NFC champion. And it's the same, basically the same thing in, in the AFC. You know, everybody thought that the Tennessee Titans were the number one seed and were going to sort of clear path to the playoffs. And they have one of the worst divisions in, in football. And then they look terrible the last couple of weeks. And they got beat by New England. And New England, like how much can you expect out of Mac Jones? You know, he's got Belichick, but I think that there's I think that there's a lot to be uh, exposed for a rookie quarterback. The kids won six games in a row. Like you can't take that away from him. But also, you know, of the uh, wins that they have, they have very few, you know, quality wins against quality opponents. Other than the Tennessee game, which again, I, they seem like they're going to end up at ten and seven, not. 13 and three or whatever it's it's definitely turned around for them and it's not not in a good way meanwhile Patriots look good and the uh, Chargers looked good for a little while um and you don't really know what to think about the Bills anymore I mean I thought the Bills were going to be 15 and two and the AFC was theirs to lose but now they're in the middle of the pack and they may not have a home game uh in the playoffs so there's a lot of parity, which makes it really interesting, and, and it makes it kind of a, a wide-open situation where nobody's really uh, raising their hand as the number one seed, and my Packers included. You know, they kind of laid an egg against the Vikings. So that being said, you know, it's going to be an exciting uh, December and January, that's for sure. Was the season opener the game that made you worry about how successful the Packers would be? Uh, I think I was on the side of it's only one game. I think that the one of the main things that's broken about the NFL is the preseason and uh, how teams treat the preseason. I think that when you don't have Aaron Rodgers playing much at all during the preseason, I don't think he played at all. There's a lot to get back and get used to and a drubbing like 38 to three against a Saints team that now looks very mediocre. It was probably a little bit of a wake up call, you know, uh, Rogers said it was just one game. LaFleur thinks like, okay, this is a bit more serious. You had uh, PTI and ESPN and people saying, well, what's really wrong and what's happening? And, you know, the, uh, the oh gosh, the, you know, the sky is falling in Green Bay. But at the same time, like, I don't know, we're so used to having one of those kind of moments um, early in the season with the Packers over the last several years that Aaron says, relax. Some of us relax. Some of us still are uh, gritting our teeth and clenching, you know, clenching our fists. But uh, obviously, uh, they're in a really good position right now. And I think that that game was more of a wake up call. And 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 honestly, it felt like it was the fourth week of preseason, where you didn't have everybody together and you didn't have a complete game. That's for sure. Looking at the playoff matchups in the NFC, who do you feel the Packers match up the best with? Uh, well. I don't think I mind 
um, playing anybody. I, I don't really have a problem playing anybody. It's just, I think that you saw with Minnesota, I think that that's a, that's an air attack that I think Kirk Cousins is underrated and, and underappreciated for sure in this town. And if he's got KJ Osborne and Jefferson and uh, Adam Thielen, that's tough to stop no matter who you got. And who knows what's going to happen with Dalvin Cook, but it didn't look good getting Cart off the field. He might be done for the season. He might be done for two weeks. Who knows? But I think that air attack and that offense can really put some points on the board. And that's what worries me. Uh, I think that obviously you can never look past Tom Brady and uh, his core of receivers. I think that, you know, Arizona is a really good team. And you look at the offense and the defense, they've done what the GMs dream of being able to do in the offseason and getting people like uh, Hopkins and Watt and just going out and grabbing people. And the same thing with the Rams. I think the Rams have done that great job of, of staffing up and, and getting some huge, huge players. But then again, they're what, 0-3 since they got Von Miller? I don't know. I think anybody with a really good offense attack, I think I think Tampa's a really good example of when they put it all together, you know, they can score 40 and, and not blink an eye. And you're all of a sudden you're just you're not, you're looking around thinking what happened. I'm cautiously optimistic thinking the Packers can make a deep run and, and potentially make it to the Super Bowl. But I'm also aware of the history and I'm aware of having your uh, hopes set very high like that. But it's, it's kind of hard when there's a lot of things leading you to believe that the Packers should be the favorite in the NFC. Which of the teams in the NFC scares you the most as a Packers fan? It's got to be Tampa. I mean, you can never count out Tom Brady. That's pretty much the beginning of the end of it. Um, and he's got the amazing core of receivers and he's got Gronk and he's very comfortable. And uh, I think that their defense is going to at least be challenging to the Packers if it comes down to Tampa and Green Bay. And I think there's a really good chance it does. Before we get to our prediction, one thing I wanted to ask you, is that looking at Joe Barry, Joe Barry, defensive coordinator, me as a Washington football team fan, a lot of fans saw him as a very mediocre guy. Of course, son-in-law of Rod Marinelli was the, one of those guys on that awful Lions team. <laughs> Which uh, awful Lions team? The winless, well, the most, the previous winless Lions team as we look at it. Uh, what is it about what Joe Barry does compared to his reputation when you saw that the uh, Packers decided to let Dom Capers go and things like that. What have you seen that he does well and what has surprised Um, you? I think that the focus on the front seven was a big deal. I think that they've drafted really well and they've also been able to put together a couple of pieces, but their secondary on paper should be fantastic. I mean, it should be locked down. But there's been a couple injuries and, and that kind of thing that has led them to having an issue. But clearly, Joe has done something that Dom couldn't because the defense has been our Achilles heel for the last several years. And now to suddenly have um, this huge turnaround without a ton of turnover on the field, you know, you got to hand it to the coaching staff. And, and I think that they've done a really good job of handling what they have and not having not having to go make a big, splashy move in the middle of the season. So. I think a lot of the credit is due to him, and I think he'll be up for, you know, not only, you know, a coordinator uh, of the year kind of an award, but there's bound to be a handful of um, coaching gigs open, and that might be something that he gets calls about. Mm -hmm. So 
I mean, Chicago's going to be looking for one. Minnesota might be looking for one. And, you know, you, why not go within your own division and find somebody close? So it's a possibility. I don't know if he's ready for that. It's it, that's kind of a that's a quick rise, but anything can happen. Yeah, especially after two previous questionable stops. Is it like the pitcher that had all those years struggling and finally puts it together? Is it is legit or is it just right. a walk here? You never know. But yeah. as we start going towards the Super Bowl prediction, who do you have coming out of the NFC? Who do you have coming out of the AFC? What will be the final score of the Super Bowl and who <laughs> is the winner? Um. You know, when we did the baseball uh, playoff conversation, I, I went with the home team and that backfired pretty miserably. So I'm not going to pick the Packers. But I do think, and this is what all the conspiracy theorists and what everybody kind of wants to see. I mean, you look at, you got Tampa Bay with Tom Brady. You got all of a sudden, New England is the uh, potentially the golden child with Mac Jones. I think you've got what is set up to be a really, really good story for uh, media and for the NFL and Belichick versus Brady. I mean, it's all, it's everything that, uh, you know, they want it to be. And I think that, you know, there's a chance. I, I think that there's a really decent chance that those two teams end up in the, uh, in the Super Bowl. And I would say that Brady will probably come out on top. He's going to throw three touchdowns. So I'd say 27, 20. Mm. Buccaneers. I'm going to put 10 bucks on that in Vegas and see what happens. 27-20 Buccaneers over the uh, Patriots. What are ways people can reach out to you to talk Packers football? And do you have any shout outs that you want to give as well? Anything else you want to promote? I'm on uh, Instagram and on Twitter at DJ Hunter Quinn. That's my uh, day job is, is doing music radio. But I also, uh, uh, Mike Wicket uh, does a great podcast and he also writes really well. He's actually in Des Moines, but he does a lot of uh, Wicket on Wisconsin stuff. So uh, he's great. And that's about it. It's good to talk uh, sports. And there's not a lot of people who love the Packers around here. There's a good culture of Packer fans around here, but I have to wear my green and gold very quietly. With all the teams in both the AFC and NFC playoff fields accounted for, it'll be fun to see which of these 14 teams will be hoisting the Vince Lombardi Trophy at the end of Super Bowl 56. Next time, we switch our focus from the pigskin to the horsehide as I host our second annual Baseball Hall of Fame roundtable. With notable names on the ballot such as Barry Bonds, Kurt Schilling, and Roger Clemens in their final year of eligibility, and the arrival of names such as David Ortiz and Alex Rodriguez, Will any of them find themselves being enshrined in Cooperstown later this summer? My group of guests will give their thoughts as well as their own fan ballot in this special episode. As always, all episodes of The Sports Refuge can be found wherever podcasts are heard, including Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and on The Sports Refuge website. Don't forget to also check out our YouTube channel where you'll find past episodes and different playlists, including some of our NFL playoff preview episodes. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on any of these apps and leave a mention, which we'll read on a future episode. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening and have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at The Sports Refuge Sports Blog. Thank you for listening.